Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Once again, last night, I, uh, I wasn't here because I was finishing up actually the last class of uh, my beginning series in Berkeley. <clears throat> uh, but I did listen to uh, Carol's talk again um, and uh, really enjoyed it, a talk on undaunted courage. And I wanted to um, follow up. Um, actually, it was a, a topic that I had planned to talk about, but it, it uh, follows up. I, I hope well, from what she was uh, trying to communicate as far as opening to experience. Uh, but um, this being a greed type, this will come from a greed perspective as far as opening to experience, um, is what I, I wanted to talk about was um, a sense of uh, wonder and awe that can inform and cultivate the quality of investigation and interest, which is a, a very important quality in practice. It's one of the seven factors of enlightenment. <clears throat> I wanted to uh, start off by sharing a Rumi poem, a great Buddhist poet. Um, <clears throat> called, um, it's called, I'll just read part of it, You Are Not a Single You. As when a baby stops nursing and grows interested in solid food, as when seeds break open in the ground and act differently, there is a hidden love center in human beings that you will discover and savor and nourish yourself with. That will be your food. <clears throat> you came from non-existence into being. How did that happen? Tell me about it. You were a little drunk when you arrived, so you can't remember exactly. I'll give you some secret hints. Let your mind go and be mindful. Close your ears and listen. Maybe I shouldn't tell if you're not ripe. You're still in early spring. July hasn't happened yet in you. This world is a tree and we are green, half-ripe fruit on it. We hold tight to the limbs because we know we're not ready to be taken into the palace. When we mature and sweeten, we'll feel ashamed at having clung so clingingly. To hold fast is a sure sign of unripeness. You are not a single you, good friend. You are a sky and an ocean, a tremendous you, a 900 times huge drowning place for all your hundreds of yous. What are these terms, wakefulness and sleep? Don't answer. Let God answer. Don't speak so the speakers can. Not a word so sunlight can say what has never been in a book or said. Don't try to put it into words, and the Spirit will do that through you, in spite of you, beside you, among you. Stop swimming so hard and climb in the boat with Noah. <clears throat> when I was uh, very young, my, uh, really my first Dharma connection <clears throat> and inspiration was astronomy. <clears throat> I, I just was amazed and fascinated at the immensity of the universe with all those zeros that those used to really fascinate me in the books, you know, and I 
really basically learned to read on uh, astronomy books and baseball. That was my, how I learned to read. And I would drag my parents to um, the Hayden Planetarium. I grew up in New York City. And you don't see many stars in New York, but we have a great planetarium. And I'd go there, you know, every time the, the program would change, you know, just dragging my parents there. So I could just sit in the, the planetarium hall and basically go, wow, wow. You know that feeling? Sure you do. And that quality of wow is really something that's um, intrinsic in all of us. You know, Jesus is uh, teaching, except ye be converted as children, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That innocence and that purity and that childlike wonder is an attribute that we have that is a very uh, wonderful asset that we can bring to practice here. And it's true, of course, that this is a humbling experience. I remember one meditation teacher called practice one insult after another, you know. <laughs> it's humbling, isn't it? But that humility can actually lead us to that sense of wonder where we don't know what's going on. It's out of our control. And when we truly come to terms with that and accept it, it's a wonderful relief that we can just let go and surrender and see what's really here as much as we can take in. Surrendering to the vastness. Uh, this is, I want to read a, a piece from uh, a, a wonderful book, one of my favorite uh, books on celebration and um, uh, celebration. It's called The Universe is a Green Dragon by uh, Brian Swim, who is uh, both an astrophysicist and a theologian. He talks about the universe. <clears throat> the fireball, the Big Bang, was a cauldron of creativity. In it were created all the elementary particles of the universe. All that exists on Earth exists only through the elementary particles that emerged in that first epoch of the universe's unfolding. After the fireball, stars and galaxies were created. We must realize that the creation of a galaxy is one stupendous activity. Could we manage that? Yet galaxies were created by the hundred billion, each with its hundred billion stars, and all of it dances, the swirling stars around each other, exploding, creating new stars, holding each other in the silence of the gravitational embrace. And these stupendously, stupendously complex systems of being simply leaped into existence. When we reflect on the creativity inherent in the universe, we are overwhelmed by its enormity and by its seeming effortlessness. <clears throat> that kind of perspective, there's no way you can hope to figure it out. The mind just kind of short circuits and lets go. And in that space of letting go, there, in that surrender, there is for me, at times, just this feeling of not just connection, but, as I say, the wonder becomes awe that it opens us up and, at times, into a, a, a spirit of devotion. I remember when Sokni Rinpoche was here earlier this, this year, he talked about devotion. He was talking about devotion to one's guru. But he said, when you open up in that way, with that spirit of awe and devotion. It's like you, you're a satellite dish that can receive all the blessings of the universe coming to you. It's a beautiful image. And for me, I think 
having that spirit <clears throat> underneath it there is a um, a core belief or perspective that um, this is that life in its perfection in its mysterious perfection beyond our comprehension the underlying reality out of which everything springs is one that I relate to as a benevolent reality now you can make the case that it's neither benevolent nor malevolent it just is you know and that would definitely hold as far as logic when we just see how things are but when I reflect on it that underneath it all that when one is not confused by one's graspings or fears or confusions that when one sees through that or is not caught in that there's peace there's great peace there is the unconditioned there is the unborn there's all of those things that uh, that were mentioned last night the Tibetans have a, a beautiful way of, of describing this world as the magical display of that naked empty awareness Sat Chit Ananda it's called in, uh, in the Hindu tradition being consciousness and bliss when one truly cuts through the conceptual mind and opens to that place of pure being pure consciousness it's blissful so for me that's a, an aspect that that allows me to open with a sense of trust and wonder and awe because if we if we think if there or if there's a subtle belief or not so subtle core belief that this is a dangerous place uh, it makes it much harder to open to truly open and relax and receive what's here when that spirit of wonder and awe that allows us to receive with openness is present it can be refined one step further beyond just receiving our experience we can meet it we don't have to be afraid to open up to it and explore let our natural curiosity help us wake up we all have this curiosity I remember when I was a um, a child I did something perhaps perhaps you can relate to ever look at a shaft a shaft of sunlight streaming through the window and look up close I used to spend a lot of time doing that <laughs> when I look up close wow what's going on in there there's this whole dance of movement now if somebody asked what you were doing and you reported I'm watching dust you know <laughs> it doesn't sound very enthralling you know but it's fascinating when we can just turn up the lens and look one level more insightfully oh look what's going on in there and we all have this uh, again from uh, universes of green dragon one one beautiful uh, piece that he talks about as the the natural uh, one natural energy of the universe is what he calls allurement things want to come together whether it's gravitation that holds us to the planet or holds planets around the Sun or galaxies together or inside the atom there's the 
the protons and neutrons held tightly, they want to come together. And in the human form, we have this feeling of wanting to merge that we call love. And he says, the great mystery is that we are interested and allured in anything whatsoever. Think of your friends, how you first met them, how interesting they appeared to you. Why should anyone in the world interest us at all? We don't, why don't we experience everyone as utter unendurable bores? Sometimes we do, I know, you know. Why isn't the cosmos made that way? Why don't we suffer intolerable boredom with every person or forest, symphony, and seashore in existence? The great surprise is the discovery that something or someone is interesting. Love begins there. Love begins when we discover interest. To be interested is to fall in love. To become fascinated is, the, is to step into a wild love affair on any level of life. Now, usually we think of becoming interested in things that are exciting or intense that hold our interest, right? But the interesting thing about practice is that if we pay careful attention, almost anything is worthy of our interest. Anything is worthy of our interest. Even boredom is worthy of our interest. You know, we think, oh gosh, this is so boring. But if you look more carefully, there's a lot that goes on in boredom. Isn't there? There's a kind of wanting, there's a kind of aversion, there's a kind of restlessness, there's a kind of incompleteness. It's fascinating, but we cover it all up and say, boring, you know. Anything is worth our interest, and we can train ourselves to have that attitude of mind. We're doing it right here. Did you ever imagine that feeling a painful sensation in your body would hold your attention? But sometimes it's really interesting, isn't it? It doesn't have to be pleasant, although it's certainly fun when it is. It can be unpleasant and it can even be neutral. Now, I know this doesn't happen every time you sit. Oh, great, I get to feel my body ache or, oh, I get to watch my breath. But it can be cultivated. At the beginning, it takes effort to be present, to just land here. It took a few days, right? But if you can bring an interest to, to your experience, it makes you want to pay attention. And the more you pay attention and the more mindful you are, the more you see the more you see, the more interesting things become. The more interesting they become, the more you want to pay attention. So it just, it builds on itself. And at the beginning, it really does take tremendous effort to just come back each time. And one teacher called it manual labor. Okay, come on back, come on back. But that effort that we can bring to be here in the present moment when the mindfulness is strong becomes effortless. It's like, why would you want to be anywhere else? You know, those, those moments that you really are here and I, just about everybody I've spoken to in interviews, you know, has said, oh, I had these few moments where I was just with the breath. You know, and there's this like this big delight. And I don't think it's just because they want to report that they did it, but rather it feels so good for it to be complete just the way it is. Oh, 
I was just with the breath. And I didn't need anything else to feel complete. I was just with my foot stepping on the ground. And there was a, a sense of, of ease and wholeness with that. It feels really good. I can you know, remember one retreat where the concentration did, uh, did develop and it was, I was breathing in and out and it was so exquisite. The thought occurred to me, and I, I, I remember really clearly, why would anybody need drugs? This is, this is so cool, you know, God, and it's free, <laughs> and it's healthy, just breathing in and out, because at times it becomes that fascinating. Not always, I know, but it can be that way. Dogen, Zen Master Dogen says, mm, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things. This is really one way we can understand our practice, to become intimate with all things. And to become intimate means you have to be willing to step outside your familiarity to really see and connect more carefully. Now, as I said, I know it's not always available, certainly at the beginning of, of a retreat, and maybe even in the middle where you just say, oh, God, another sitting, you know, another walking, another breath. We just had one a moment ago, you know. <laughs> Who cares, you know. But actually, uh, I have found that we can, uh, that it's possible, I know, I've found it for myself, and I think others can too, you can almost trick yourself into making something interesting. And I learned this from a, uh, a friend of mine, a, a dear friend I went to uh, high school and, uh, and college with, um, and he... Um, we went to a, a pretty good school in New York, and we did okay. Not great, but pretty good. You know, B plus, you know, 88-something average or so. And then when we went to college, I continued along in that mode, and he just took off you know, and actually graduated. I think it was like summa cum laude or something like that. And we remained really good friends throughout the whole school. And um, I asked him... Uh, towards the end of our college career, you know, looking back, I said, Joe, how is it, you know, we were doing about the same in high school, and in college, you just really flew. And he said, well, you know what? I had this little game with myself. He said, I really decided I wanted to do good in, in school, in college, and I... Um, I played a little trick with myself at the beginning of each course, you know, statistics or whatever it was, I thought, this guy up in front has devoted his whole life to statistics. What does he find interesting in this? I'm going to find out what he found interesting. Why do this? Why devote your life to it? And he said, the first couple of weeks, it's just like on a meditation retreat, the first couple of weeks, you kind of have to feel the territory and lay the foundation, you know. But I kept on tricking myself, what is interesting about this? And after a while, I just kind of got it, and it became interesting. And then it was kind of fun to learn. I thought, God, that's incredible. I wish I had asked you when I was a freshman instead <laughs> of a senior. You know. <laughs> But sometimes we have to trick ourselves, oh, this breath, it's what's dis uh, sustaining me. Now here's a, a little trick, okay? Just try this. Close your eyes. Imagine you've just been born. You've just come through 
the birth canal. And you're about to take your first breath. Can you be here for it? This very first moment of life. You want to be here for it, don't you? And now, just to complete the exercise, just imagine coming into your body and taking your breath and going through infancy and childhood and adolescence and young adulthood and adulthood and senior and having come to the end of a full life, you're at the end about to take your last breath. How present would you be? Here it is, your last breath, your last moment. Now for a moment, let go of beginning and ending of past and future. And just be with this breath, which has never been here before and which will never be here again. That is sustaining you, keeping you alive. Can you be here for this one? Honor it with your presence. Okay, you can open your eyes if you like. that bring any interest to you? And as you develop those moments of mindfulness and really see there's a whole world in there like the shaft of, of sunlight, um, it's not as um, boring or superficial as we think. Within the breath, there's a whole world of experience. Now, it is true, it takes courage to explore the unknown. We've been talking about that. Mentioned it earlier in the, the retreat, and, and yesterday Carol you know, spoke so, so beautifully on that. Undaunted courage, she called it. It takes courage to open up to our suffering. It takes courage to open up to our fears. But the paradox is that going towards it is liberating. Moving away from it is confusing and the source of suffering. If we try to run away from our fears or our suffering, what happens? Can you run away? You bring your head wherever you go. Try to get something out of your mind. You know? Don't think about a pink elephant right now. Okay? Get it out of your mind. Okay? As soon as you try to push it away, you just give it life and feed it. But the Aikido move of practice is to go right towards it is the way through. Because it works in a few different levels. One, you're you're not adding that layer of fear and aversion when you explore it. You can't say, let's feel you at the same time that you're hoping something will go away. It's just the way it works. And so inviting that, you're not adding on that second dart, or in Zen they call it adding on a second head on top of the first. So... In that sense, you're not complicating things, and you're also learning, you're also opening up to what's here and becoming more familiar and holding it in a different way, holding it with 
a kind awareness, holding it with compassion. And as you bring interest to it, it's one thing to say, okay, I'll allow it to be here, accepting that it's here. That's very useful. But to go one step further and say, let's feel you. It's like you're exploring the landscape, becoming familiar with the subtleties and the nuances that usually escape us as we try to run away. Another way that this paradox works, that moving towards things is actually liberating, is that as you name your demons, whatever they are, you're shining the light of awareness on them. You know, like in the ancient myths and fairy tales, when there's a a dragon or a, a demon, you know what happens when the hero or the heroine finds out the name? Scary, 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 and then all of a sudden they find out the name and they say the name and the dragon kind of slinks away or the demon disappears. It's the same way when we can name what's here. Oh, this is sadness. This is sad Buddha. This is fear. This is judgment. And we can hold it with a kind attitude. We diffuse its power. There's a uh, is a beautiful book that uh, a couple of people from uh, the community from the Sangha wrote called Facing Fear, Finding Courage. And uh, there's a couple of quotes each that I want to share with you. Each chapter starts out with a quote. This is um, Charlotte Bronte, the writer. To see and know the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. Because the mind gets caught in projection of, oh my goodness. But if you say, okay, this is the worst that can happen. Okay, you can hold that. And this is from Andre Dubus. It is not hard to live through a day if you can live through a moment. What creates despair is the imagination, which pretends there is a future and insists on predicting millions of moments, thousands of days, and so drains you that you cannot live the moment at hand. When you keep your parameters to just this moment, it's all quite workable. It might be unpleasant, but this is where there's refuge, just in this moment, instead of imagining what's to come. So this does take courage, but it's the way to freedom. And the interesting thing is that although we we want just the good stuff to come out, you know, oh, let's, let's have some wisdom, you know, keep that other stuff down there, or, you know, oh, I'll take some compassion, but who wants all that yucky judgment, you know. As we open ourselves up and allow it all to move through, it's not like, you know, in Pandora's box where all the demons came and at the very bottom there was this tiny little hope. That's not really how it is. It opens up and all the things that we distracted ourselves from feeling are usually the first to come out, but underneath them is tremendous wisdom and tremendous compassion. And in order to allow that to fully flower, it means that we hold everything that's in there in that way. And so the process is one of purification, not of um, selective uh, pulling out different qualities. All of those things move through us, and if we can hold them and allow them with a space of kind awareness, they lose their power little by little. And in that, it's very comforting to see that 
you have no control over the process. Now, this might sound like bad news. You know, people say, and it's come up a few times in interviews, I'm really trying, I'm trying to be mindful, I'm trying to be calm, I'm trying to be equanimous, and it's just not working. I come to sit, and I'm just nodding off. Or I come to sit, and I'm just, you know, all over the map or caught in fear. Or I do my walking, and uh, there's no escape, you know. It's just not working the way it's supposed to. And it's so easy to get caught in that, in that agenda. But it's a tremendous relief to realize you have no control over the process. Because then you don't have to take any kind of responsibility for how it's going, or any kind of blame, let alone any kind of credit when it is going good. That's the tricky part. Hey, now it's going good. The moment that you say, wow, I'm pretty good yogi, you're setting yourself up for when it doesn't. So it's a tremendous freedom to realize it just does its own thing in its own time, and all you need to do is show up. <clears throat> I remember in, uh, one time in, in uh, I was sitting in Bodh Gaya um, in um, 77, it was. And uh, I had been sitting for a few years, for about three years or so, and uh, people around were emoting and they were crying and they were going through, you know, boxes of tissues and all. And I was just sitting there, and I was just basically, you know, feeling the breath, feeling sensations or whatever. But, you know, at first I thought, well, you know, that's cool, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But after a while I thought, I think I'm missing something here, you know. And I went to you know, Joseph and saying, what's, what's going on? I, I didn't know if I was getting my money's worth, you know. Uh, and I thought, I, you know, what, what if I'm just kind of avoiding something? I'm just, I'm just here, you know, feeling the breath or feeling you know, sensations. And, you know, am I doing something wrong? And he said, don't go looking for trouble. It'll find you soon enough, you know. <laughs> And it did, you know, in its own time, you know, when I say trouble, all, all, the, all the demons and the fears and all of those things, they came up in their own time, but you don't have to create the agenda for it. And as you can let go of the agenda, it becomes more of an adventure. Because if you know how it's going to turn up, you know, why, you know, why go through the whole process anyway? That's what makes it an adventure that you don't know. And when it's an adventure, when you can have that spirit of adventure, uh, on each time I start a retreat, it's like, I wonder what this is going to be like. Wow. You know, it's like taking a journey. Who knows? And I, I remember on one, um, one retreat, this is after about, I've been practicing about five years or so, and I opened up to this it was like very new territory, and, and I was just kind of amazed. And I went into um, an interview, and I said, you know, I don't know what I've been doing for the last five years, but this is a whole new ball game. And, uh, and Joseph said, oh, yeah, it's a neat feeling. I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. <laughs> and then he looked at me with words that, you know, are indelible in my, in my memory, and he said, you know what, it's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. And I would get goosebumps, you know, we're at the tip of the iceberg. Now, that doesn't mean, oh gosh, I've got a whole lot more digging to go, you know. It's, wow, how cool how much more there is to discover. You know, what a treat. When somebody hasn't heard, say, an album that, that I love, you know, and know intimately, I think instead of, oh, gosh, you know, where have you been? It's like, oh, you're in for such a treat, you know? And we're all in for a real treat, a journey of you know, waking up. 
as scary as it might be, that's what makes it an adventure. It's really good news. Now, sometimes people have an idea, particularly with the word path or journey of going from point A to point B. I'm here now, and when do I get there then? You know, I'm definitely not where I want to end up. Right? And I can't wait to get there. And that kind of linear holding of the word path, which is almost, you know, it leads one to that kind of a perspective, I don't think is so useful. Because for me, wherever you are when you wake up, I can assure you of one thing. It will be here. And whenever it is, it will be, guess when? Now. There's no other place that it could be and no other time. Right? So instead of thinking, oh, I need to get there, if you have that model, you'll never get there. But if instead you can think of the practice as a kind of mandala, you know, for me, it's, I, I have this image of like a, remember the old Walt Disney time-lapse photography, you know, the flowers opening up, you know. That's what, that's what I, I sense that we're doing. We're just opening up more and more to the here and now. Not to get someplace else, but just to be here more and more openly and directly. And so, you don't have to worry about being there then, it's completely opening up to what's here right now. For me, that's, that's really what deepening practice means. You know, there's a lot of other definitions that one can have, but for me, it's, it's being more and more willing to open up to this moment and to open up to the way things are. And when you think about it, what's the alternative? To close? To cultivate more greed, hatred, and delusion? You know, well, there, there might be another way. <clears throat> I want to talk of, uh, mention a few things about this factor of investigation, this enlightenment factor. It keeps the practice from becoming mechanical. Have you noticed at times when you're doing the walking and you know lifting moving and you're kind of there you're pretty there pretty much there but it's just boring that can be a clue that there's more subtleties to look at when you are really connected or to feel the same way when when you're sitting the times that you're really here with the breath and not straining <clears throat> to, to get closer to it, when you're just quite softly connected with it, if it's starting to become dull or mechanical, that's a time to experiment with turning up the focus, with looking a bit more carefully. Investigation is not figuring things out. Sometimes that that idea comes, oh, I've got to investigate, I've got to get to the bottom of this. As I said the other, the other day, why is a deadly word? You know, why is this happening? That's not what investigation is. Where did this come from? What's going to, what, it's go what is it going to turn into? You don't know, but rather it's more uh, an exploring without any kind of an agenda, just a an intuitive understanding that lets you feel or listen in, in subtler and subtler ways. Now, it's important to, to realize that you can't always be that precise. And that's where you have to be careful not to have investigation turn into straining or striving, which it's, it's really, uh, there can be that tendency it's a quality of being both receptive, really tuned in and letting yourself open to what's here, but 
interested, that is, having a right relationship with that level of connection. And sometimes you'll be more in the receptive mode if you're finding yourself trying hard than just to lighten up and receive the experience without going into it or towards it. And that's a beautiful way to practice. At other times, if you're laid back or you're just receiving, but there's not a brightness, there's not a, um, um, a quality of connection and opening, that's where you need to look with a bit more care. And so learning to balance both of those is, is really an art of practice. And to do that, it's important to understand that there are many um, lenses, many ways that we can take in the moment, different kinds of apertures. At times, if you're right there and feeling the hair follicles sway in the breeze inside your nostrils, you know, great, take a look really carefully. Ooh, so many different things. At other times, it'll be all you can do to know that you're on planet Earth you know, and sitting here in a body. That's not the time to go in and explore with that you know, precision. And so that's the time to open up much more panoramically, much more spaciously and widely, and seeing how can I best connect with the moment, just as it is. You know? If you're completely out there and have no idea what's going on, you can use my note of last resort, which is confusion. Okay? I just wrap the whole thing into one big package and notice confusion. That's what's happening. Confusion. And in that moment, I'm here again. I'm connecting and seeing, oh, this is what's going on, confusion. And I'm clear. I might be clearly confused, but at least I'm clear about it. You know, oh, confusion. And that moment of mindfulness is just as potent and significant as noting and noticing the fine precision. So having a sense of how you can best take in the moment is really an art that one develops. And you have to really trust your intuition. Sometimes you might notice changing experience right within a breath. Sometimes you might notice changing experience of one sensation to another or one sound to another, or feeling the mood come and go. It doesn't matter what you're paying attention to because the mindfulness points to understanding the impermanent nature of things. And sometimes it can be very focused and sometimes it can be much more spacious and broad. Investigation, as, as I've mentioned, has this kind of spirit of discovery that is willing to let your wonder lead you. I um, sat, as I think uh, everybody here uh, has sat with um, the, the Burmese master, Upandita, this uh, very uh, strong teacher. And uh, at one point in uh, this, this longer retreat, and you have to report, you know, very formally just what you what you notice within the breath and within the walking. And uh, I gave what I thought was a fairly extensive report. And he said, "Okay." He said, "Now, tell me something new about the breath tomorrow." I thought, "Gosh, new! I've been doing this for ten years. You know, am I going to find something new?" You know, but you know, he was not somebody to take lightly, so uh, I had to come up with something. <laughs> and I went back and I just really paid attention. Please let me see something new. <laughs> you know. And fortunately, you know, I came up. Oh, I never saw it. You know, just two thirds of the way back, there's this little sparkle in my nostrils you know, you know? <laughs> when, I, when I when the on the in breath towards the end you know, you know 
okay. I got real excited. I went in. I told him, you know, and I saw that there's a, there's a sensation of sparkling. Okay, good. Okay. Tell me something new tomorrow. <laughs> and th this went on for like, you know, two or three or four days, you know. And it was I incredible because it wasn't like he was looking for any one right answer, but in order to report that and recognize that, I had to really look with care. And in that careful looking, that spirit of discovery just kind of blossomed, and it was, um, it was fascinating. So I kind of invite that for you to check out to see if you can discover something new. Not straining yourself, it's not a pass-fail test, but the times you're really connected, whether it's the breath or you're feeling sadness for the 7,300th time, you know, or you're feeling your foot lift or place, just see if you can notice something new that you hadn't before. Just to bring that quality of discovery there. Sometimes I, uh, I have a, a, a game I play with myself that it's like I'm an alien that's come into this human form and I'm reporting back to the, the mothership, you know. And here I am making my report. This is what happens when they breathe, you know. Mm, okay. <laughs> I, that might be a little bit too far out there for you, but I, that, it works for me anyway. Yeah. It, it, you can be real playful about it. It's not a heavy-duty homework assignment, you know. In fact, playfulness is really an ally of investigation. So you don't have to take it so seriously. It's, it's like letting, you know, like when you're a kid, you know, and you like to play in the mud, you know. You probably don't like to play in mud much these days, right? But it's really fascinating. Ooh, it feels so good. Just letting yourself be a kid again, like that. And it also means stepping outside your comfort zone. Not to think, oh, I already know how it is. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen the next time you sit down. And that's what makes it that quality of adventure and surprise. Something else that I want to mention uh, with investigation, and that is not only to tune into all the difficulties, but also to notice the wholesome states when they're here. We can so easily miss them or think, oh, yeah, well, that was a fluke, or, you know, let's just, re I've got to get to the bottom of my fear, you know, which, you know, that has its value. But when you're with a wholesome state, when you're in deep peace or great joy, to use that as the subject of your mindfulness to really understand and explore, feel the landscape of it without getting entranced by it, without saying, oh, groovy, this feels so good. I, were you there with the bliss? Oh, yeah, I was there. It was so delicious. And that's not it. It's feeling, oh, this is what bliss feels like. You know, this is what they feel when they feel bliss. You know? <laughs> yeah. <And> just... <laughs> It's, oh, this is bliss, okay, let's feel this. Oh, this is sadness, let's feel this. This is confused Buddha, let's feel this. You know? But to look for the good is very, very wholesome. You know, the Buddha talked about increasing wholesome states that have arisen, and the best way to do that is to really be present for them. There's enough dukkha to go around for all of us and this applies not just here in the retreat but when you go outside it takes some effort to look for the good especially we're barraged with all the you know all the suffering and and ignorance that's out there i came across there was this beautiful book by former undersecretary of united nations robert Mueller, 
who he had tried, this is like in the 60s or 70s, no, I think he wrote, the book was in the 80s, but it was like when he, in the 70s, he had done, tried this campaign to put out good news, all these wonderful things that the UN projects were happening, these inspiring stories to papers and, uh, and the media, and nobody would handle it. It just wasn't juicy enough. You know? We are barraged by the sensational and the frightening because that gets our blood going. And every now and then we see some very awesome feature story that touches us. Well, it takes some looking, but actually there's feature stories all around. And to start tuning into it, it gives you some confidence and inspiration to have that quality of investigation. Because it's not just all bad stuff, although that's what the newspapers predominate in. And the same way inside, there's the 10,000 sorrows and the 10,000 joys. And to, to let yourself open to them and feel them. Because as you do, more and more, you can get in touch with the good news of who you really are. This is from Wang Po. I love this quote. He says, Your true nature is something never lost to you, even in moments of delusion, nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. It is the nature of the suchness. This pure mind, the source of everything, shines forever and on all with the brilliance of its own perfection. But the people of the world do not awake to it in regarding only that which sees, hears, feels, and knows as mind. Blinded by their own sight, hearing, feeling, and knowing, they do not perceive the spiritual brilliance of the source. If they would only eliminate all conceptual thought, in a flash that source would manifest itself like the sun ascending through the void and illuminating the whole universe without hindrance or bounds. That's who you start to discover you are if you're willing to take a look and explore and investigate. It takes courage to open to experience. It takes courage to do this journey. And at the same time, you can really enjoy the adventure. You can bring that sense of wonder which informs the process, with, which naturally leads to an interest that investigates. And as you're doing that, your own good heart is your protection. There's a way that you'll know when you're getting in over your head, when you need to just relax and open up, when you need protection. Your own sincerity of intention is what guides you and holds you. If you listen carefully enough, that's your protection. I'll close with this piece from Shantideva. As a blind person feels when they find a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life, the tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life, the bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life, the cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated, the sun that dispels darkness, the butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. Let's sit for a moment.
as a blind person feels when they find a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. Thank you for your attention. This talk was given by James Barris at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on February 12, 2002. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.